Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 83. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Wednesday. Steelers Nation got a great episode for you guys today, a little bit later in the show. In the bulk of the podcast will be a Shrine Bowl discussion roundtable with the uh, crew that was down there in Las Vegas. So that's a great hour-long discussion we have um, with those guys. And so we'll, we'll kick it to that here in a little bit but some Steelers news for us to talk about today Dave how you doing doing good it's a great day to be alive I don't think I've felt this good in over two years <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that and uh plus have a have a great uh uh discussion with the Shrine Bowl attendees in the back half of this show that uh, that I think and hope everybody's going to uh enjoy and you know, just uh, super excited to be in, in 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 draft mode, and obviously have the Super Bowl coming up uh, this week as well too, and put a finishing stamp on the uh, 2022 NFL season. Yep, still a busy time of year. And Dave, let's uh, get right into the Steelers news after all the discussions and stories and waiting and wondering and speculating. We now know where Brian Flores is headed. It is not Arizona, and it will not be staying in Pittsburgh either. He has been named the Minnesota Vikings' new defensive coordinator. Uh, He withdrew from the Arizona Cardinals' coaching uh, search, despite being one of the three finalists, which uh, frankly surprised me, but maybe he got the sense that Arizona was not the place for him or that Arizona would not pick him to be the guy. And so once um, EJ Averro went to Carolina, that seemed to be the Vikings' top target. They shifted to Flores, and now he is going to Minnesota. Yeah, good for him, right? You know, uh, and good on, you know, I bet nobody's happier than Flores and his family uh, than Mike Tomlin. Uh, they they sort of created that position for him about the same time last year. Mike Tomlin saying he didn't want that guy to just sit out there like that. Obviously had the lawsuit going on against the NFL uh, and everything that, that came along with it. And it obviously... You know, stinks that the Steelers lose a guy like in Flores, but you had to know uh, going into this thing about this time a year ago that that was going to probably uh, or had a good chance of being the outcome here one year later that Flores would wind up either with a head, another head coaching job or wind up as a defensive coordinator on the staff of a uh, of, of, of another team there. So uh, good on him for that. Good on Mike Tomlin for giving him the opportunity uh, this past year. and. Good on the team being, I guess, the Minnesota Vikings because, uh, A, the Steelers don't play the Vikings in 2023. However, comma, they do play the uh, Cincinnati Bengals uh, in Cincinnati. So uh, maybe uh, some of the things that Flores learned are, <laughs> you know, preparing for the for the Bengals a couple of times this past season. Maybe that will help in uh uh, the Vikings, you know, uh, beating the Bengals sometime next year. So I guess really the only thing to kind of talk about moving forward uh, out of this is 
What do the Steelers do staff-wise? I know you had an interesting tweet about the the, the staff size yesterday, uh, uh, kind of coming out of this, and you know what specifically was Flores' you know main group of focus with the Steelers? Was it more inside linebackers? Was it outside linebackers? Uh, will a guy like Denzel Martin, who's an assistant outside linebackers coach, become the outside linebackers coach and and I guess the you know will will they go out and add another uh, kind of senior defense defensive assistant there? Yeah, I know you had talked about you know could it be a Steve Wilkes, but he's now officially going to San Francisco as the DC to replace D'Amico Ryan's now the head coach of the Houston Texans. So you know we'll see. The the tweet that I had was right now the Steelers coaching staff after losing Brian Flores and Blaine Stewart. Stewart now the tight ends coach at West Virginia now only has seventeen. Uh, coaches on that on that staff and so that is I don't know what the numbers are right now obviously coaching staffs are still in flux and we're still waiting on Arizona and and, uh, Indianapolis to hire head coaches and put together their staff so it's not worth counting right now but you know Pittsburgh entered last year with one of the smallest coaching staffs in football they probably still sit there right now I figure they're going to replace uh, Blaine Stewart will they replace Flores we'll have to see maybe it's less about Filling the position and can you find just the right person to come along given the unique circumstances in which Flores uh, was hired, not the Steelers plan or intention, but credit to Mike Tomlin for giving Flores that bridge year. If Flores sat out all of last year, I don't know if he becomes the Vikings DC this year. So I think that was a tremendous uh, move and opportunity that Tomlin uh, gave Brian Flores. Now there is Jerry Osavsky who had been the inside linebackers coach for a long time. Um, and, and he could just slide kind of back into that full-time main role. So we'll just have to to wait and see. I assume they're going to add somebody to this coaching staff at the least to replace Blaine Stewart, who helped with the receivers, helped Chris Jackson there, and also helped Danny Smith on special teams. But beyond that, I'm not sure what other additions, if any, there might be. Yeah, we'll just have to sit and wait because, once again, you know, it, 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 it sort of felt like that position was created for Flores, right? I mean, yeah, because, Tomlin he, admitted because he was out there. Yeah, right. Tomlin said when he first started talking to Flores last year, he had no intention of hiring him, hoping and believing he would get a head coach job or get a defensive coordinator job. And once you know, he realized those things weren't happening, then the conversation became about football and coaching and giving him a place to to, to work for a year. And, um, and and that seems to to have worked well for uh, the Steelers and obviously for Brian Flores. If you had to guess, why do you think? Flores took himself out of the running for that Cardinals job and, and decided just to uh, become the DC in Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, I, I, obviously I don't really know for sure. Maybe this is just one of those, well, I wasn't going to get the job. So I'm going, you know, uh, the, 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 the PR method that way there, but look, I, I, you know, once, uh, uh, Monte, uh, Austin Fort became the GM. I, I thought there was a strong connection there. I really liked Flores chances, to, to maybe land that job, but, uh, maybe he did bow out. Maybe he doesn't, you know, maybe he doesn't view it as a prime opportunity. You know, uh, uh, one with the quarterback situation, obviously is going to be the big, big talk there with Kyler Murray. And, and, and is that going, you know, can he be the guy there who, who, who really knows here? So, uh, I would just be speculating as to, you know, the real reason why, sure. You know, it, it, and I think really there was only one person reporting it. I think Aaron Wilson reporting that uh, that uh, he you know he kind of took himself out of the running there. 
Well, he was scheduled to have a second interview later this week, I think on Wednesday. So unless something dramatically changed, I have to assume that Flores withdrew his candidacy from from Arizona. I, I think maybe it's two reasons. A, you know, when you're a finalist, sometimes that can mean different things. Brian Flores was a finalist for the Houston Texans job last year. And I think he and probably everyone else kind of realized he wasn't going to get that Houston Texans job. And so sometimes you're just the finalist in name only if there is such a thing so maybe he kind of felt like that was happening again the cardinals have been waiting i think to talk to lou anarumo of cincinnati maybe that was a sign they really want to go hire that guy that's why they've not hired a head coach yet and so they've been waiting to get the the green light to interview um a guy like him so that might have been flora's indication there and plus let's say he waits on the cardinals job doesn't get it and the Vikings go in a different direction, just wanting to hire and fill that spot, then he might kind of be be stuck in that sense. So it might have been, I don't think I'm getting the Cardinals job. I don't want to pass up this opportunity in Minnesota. I have a connection there in Kevin O'Connell, who was a player when Flores was beginning his coaching career in New England. Let me jump at this chance and not kind of get stuck uh, holding the bag if I lose out on the Cardinals job. And then Minnesota, because they're not going to wait for me, goes ahead and hires somebody else. So that might be the calculation there from Brian Flores. All right. Um, but from there, we'll see what the Steelers do. Do you think they, they don't have to fill that spot? Would you like to see Pittsburgh just fill that spot though? Uh, it would hurt my feelings. No, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with, uh, with Denzel at the outside linebacker, you know, position and all like that. And, and, you know, with him being an assistant there, uh, I, I don't think you can have, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it would hurt to add, you know, another guy. I mean, obviously you talked about, uh, Blaine's. Blaine on the offensive side of football there, but I don't think it would hurt to add a another defensive mind to that room. No. Yeah, I think for the edge guys, because Carl Dunbar, the D-line coach, works so closely with them and Denzel does as well, there won't be any change there. It's just a question of does Olsavsky go back to the previous role of him just being the only off-ball linebackers coach or do they happen to add another assistant in and, and we'll just have to wait and see. They, I, I can almost guarantee they're going to replace Blaine Stewart with somebody. I don't know who, probably a name that won't be a household type of, of figure, but um, they're going to have to replace that role because I think Stewart kind of wore a lot of hats and, and they're going to want a guy like that for offense and for special teams. So we'll keep you guys posted. Other story to come out, and it's not really news the way that Flores is news, but Mitch Trubisky, I know that Jerry Dulac wrote a big column about that, and, and you had a post uh, yesterday, a really good post, Dave, on on Trubisky. What are the options there? Can you kind of just run through? I know we've discussed it before, but can you kind of run through what this team could do with Trubisky this offseason? Yeah, and and why are we talking about it today? And I, it's mostly stems from Dulac's you know article uh, uh, yesterday saying that you know why, while they would like to retain. Uh, Trubisky, you know, uh, maybe doing so at that $8 million base salary, uh, obviously isn't ideal. Uh, Dulac, you know, says the Steelers simply can't, you know, uh, cannot simply restructure his contract to lessen his cap in because he is in the final, uh, year of his two year deal. They'd have to sign to a new contract, add voidable years. If they wanted to convert that uh, base salary into a signing bonus, they could also, also ask him to take a pay cut, but all that would require Trubisky agreeing to such a deal. And the chances of that are probably not good. There's nothing, nothing faults there in, 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 in what Jerry Dulac wrote, but there, you know, I felt that there needed to be more detail, obviously added to that. And here's the thing. Uh, 
you, you go back to uh, uh, right before, the, I think, the combine last year, Kevin uh, Colbert talking about the voidable years and how that was just a COVID thing and he didn't foresee the organization ever having to go that route again. Obviously, Kevin Colbert's not the GM now. Omar Khan is, but it just feels like, you know, a avoidable year, uh, you know, restructure, if you will, it, it doesn't sound ideal. I don't think they they will do something along those lines. If they did do something along those lines, uh, they would and did a max restructure by adding four voidable years to that. It would save a whopping five point five three six million dollars in two thousand and twenty three cap space. On top of that, it would produce uh, another $5.536 million in potential 2024 dead money after Trubisky's contract voided, which would probably obviously be about five days after the Super Bowl. That's usually when, when those kind of things uh, 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 generally void there. So uh, that's what a restructure of avoidable year uh, addition would look like. Once again, I don't think they will I'd be surprised if they go that route. Uh, how do you think Mitch Trubisky would respond to, uh, we want to cut your salary by three or $4 million, Alex? He would put up a finger and it wouldn't be a thumb. I'll tell you that much to that idea. So no dice. I don't think so either. And here's another thing about if, if they did go to him and ask him to do avoidable year uh, uh, restructure as well, too. He would probably say, well, what's, you know, what's in it for me other than, you know, basically guarantee me the $8 million. He might tell them, look, I also want my, uh, my playtime incentives that were in my original deal, uh, adjusted as well too. I want those playtime percentages, which I think now were reportedly 60%, uh, when, when he signed his deal to earn an extra $4 million, no, there's no way he's going to hit no 60% play time uh, in, 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 in 2023, unless Pickett, obviously, uh, Kenny Pickett were to get injured for a, for a long period of time mm -hmm. there. Uh, but on top of that, if they did, you know, if, if that was part of the process, uh, you could only lower that uh, play time percentage down to, I think, right around 31%. Uh, for it to still qualify as a not likely to be earned incentive because Trubisky almost played 31% of all offensive snaps uh, last year. So really, even that wouldn't benefit Trubisky unless Kenny Pickett was to miss right around a, a third of the season, right? So uh, that's just yet another reason to think why maybe a voidable year restructure uh, would not happen. Uh, I'm with you. I, I think if they told him to take a flat out pay cut, he'd say, you know, deal with it. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I think the, the pay cut would have to be at least 3 million, right. To make it worth, worth, worth the Steelers side of things. Mm -hmm. And probably even, even more than that. And if they asked him to take, you know, 3 million or more pay cut, he'd probably say, why don't you just cut me and let me go see if I can make uh, that same $5 million elsewhere in, 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 in 2023. And I guess really the only other thing to maybe throw out there, and it's, it's just because wanting to cover all the bases here is could they get into a situation where they maybe find somebody that wants to trade for Trubisky, but that team says that $8 million salary, <laughs> uh, no, no, thank you. Could there be a situation where, uh, the Steelers trade Trubisky 
but take on holding on to three or four million dollars uh, of that eight million dollar salary. Now, the byproduct of that, at least, would be that you get whatever you get in return, you know, uh, as far as maybe a draft pick compensation. And then on top of that, uh, whatever, whatever that you don't have to eat as part of a trade would be salary cap savings that way. And then the most obviously obvious path to saving the most money with Trubisky would be just cutting him outright, mm-hmm. which you free up $8 million in salary cap space prior to roster displacement taking place. All of that mumbo jumbo that I just said right there, I think all this still goes back to Art. What 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 Art Rooney II said to uh, Bob Pompiani in 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 that sit down January 26 interview, uh, Alex, and quote: "It's still early in the off season, but I expect Mitch will be on the roster next season and be in an effective backup when we need him." I think he showed we can win with him. I think he'll be on the roster next year. So, and you know, uh, I know I know Dulac kind of speculates, and you know, we're all speculating at this point. But I mean, until we hear otherwise, it, it sort of feels like Mitch Trubisky's going to be on this right. Unless you know, unless you know, Art Rooney the second really hasn't had to sit down yet with Omar and the rest of them and say, which way are we going here? How do we really look in the cap situation uh, here? But, you know, I, I still think what Rooney said trumps everything at this point. Or if Trubisky comes in and says, I don't want to be here. Sure. Let me go. That's the thing that may change their mind. Just to run through the scenarios you laid out. And again, you posted every scenario in just in the interest of thoroughness in, in terms of all the right. options they have right now. But pay cuts not going to happen. Trade's not going to happen. There's no value. The Giants might be the only other team interested in Trubisky last year. Now they're paying Daniel Jones. They're not going to go trade for Trubisky. And plus, and again, I understand you're not endorsing this. You're just laying the scenario. A trade doesn't even make sense because in in the scenario of like Pittsburgh's eating $3 million or whatever the number might be, because then they would have to go sign a backup veteran quarterback. They'd still spend $8 million on backup quarterbacks in the guy they signed and the money they're eating with Trubisky. So that, that wouldn't work. Avoidable year could work, but as you said, not really what Pittsburgh is likely to do. Um, I think what it comes down to is, and I believe you made the comment either on Monday's live stream or on Monday's podcast, Pittsburgh just has to make the clean, clear decision of, is Mitch Trubisky worth $8 million to be the the backup or not? Is he worth keeping around to be that insurance policy to pick it or not at $8 million? That's That's the calculation. Yes, no, thumbs up, thumbs down. That has to be the only thing they consider. Right. And this is right in the middle of uh, my, my post. I said, so where does all of this leave us when it comes to Trubisky in the coming weeks and months? And quite honestly, it seems like it really comes down to one thing. And that's if the Steelers want Trubisky to be their backup quarterback in 2023 at 8 million. Outside of that, it would take Trubisky making some contractual concessions, uh, something he's obviously not obligated to do. And for all we know, Trubisky might really want the Steelers to cut or trade him uh, at this point. So either that or he accepts being a backup in Pittsburgh at $8 million with a very, very slight chance of earning $4 million or more in uh, in incentives related to playing time and team performance. Yeah, that, that's the bottom line. Either he's worth it as the backup or not. Either you want to pay that kind of premium for that insurance policy if something happens to pick it, so be it. And, and Rooney seems to be trending towards yes, but we'll have to see. And the only thing that changes that calculation is if 
Trubisky very strongly makes it clear that I don't want to be here and I'm going to make it known that I don't want to be here. Right. The whole volunteers, uh, not hostages, right? Right. So to me, that is just those are the calculations. I mean, voidable years and pay cuts and trades all unlikely or, or have basically no chance of occurring. Okay. All right. That's those are the, the two main Steelers things that we wanted to discuss today. Now I want to kick it to our Shrine Bowl discussion. We do not have Owen Straley on today. He had a, another obligation. And so we'll get him on either next week or two weeks from now. But we have the Joes, Joe Clark and Joe Camaruto, uh, Melanie Friedlander and uh, Josh Carney. And so Dave and I will join them here in a second and talk about their experience at this year's Shrine Bowl. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And as we talked about, Dave and I, on Monday's show, going to have some Shrine Bowl and Senior Bowl recaps and roundtable discussions the rest of the week today, starting with the Shrine Bowl that was held in Las Vegas and had a terrific crew sent out there to represent Steelers Depot in Joe Clark and Josh Carney and Melanie Friedlander and Joe Camaroto and Owen Straley. Uh, unfortunately, Owen not here today. We'll get him uh, and his thoughts on the Shrine Bowl sometime, hopefully next week or two weeks from now, but to have the rest of the crew on. So now you guys did a, a tremendous job in terms of the practice reports, in terms of the player interviews. Um, Dave, I don't know if you had any initial thoughts. I know you, you that's your uh, hometown in, in Las Vegas. You spent time with these guys. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you kind of start, Dave. What are your initial thoughts or anything you wanted to ask these guys? Yeah, yeah. I think first and foremost here is uh, this was the second trip out here for uh, Josh, Dr. Mel, and uh, Owen. So they kind of, you know, knew what to expect uh, uh, loosely going into this. But then we had the two Joes, Joe Clark and and and, and Joe Camaroto uh, out here, and I, I think we should open up with with kind of getting a, a quick synopsis of of uh from both the joes to to their overall thoughts of the whole experience here being it was a new one for them so uh joe clark and by the way you know joe clark's been with us now i don't know what a year and a half two years something like that uh he's become a full-time uh uh staff member on steeders depot so uh with that joe uh tell tell people real quick uh you know who you are and 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 a little bit about your first experience out here uh at in vegas at the shrine bowl yeah, thanks, Dave. So I joined Depot August 2021. Um, obviously, really excited to go out to the Shrine Bowl. The whole experience was awesome. I mean, top to bottom, it was some of the most fun I've ever had. Um, obviously, you know, with Josh, Mel, and Owen have gone out there last year, they were a huge, huge help in kind of, you know, showing me the ropes and um, figuring out, you know, how it works with interviews and um, get just like getting access and you know, kind of some things to look for, but just as a whole, you know, being up close, being around, especially, you know, the first two days, like all the scouts, uh, just kind of like, I, I mean, I have rabbit ears, which kind of sucked when I was a baseball umpire, but it helps, you know, <laughs> when you're, when you're trying to go around and be like, oh, what's this guy looking for? What's this guy looking for? So then it kind of helps you pick up and, you know, um, see where some certain teams are focusing or, you know, what, what, what traits are good to look for in a player. So that was definitely really, really cool. It was fun to sit down and talk to these guys. Um, a lot of them were just really fun to talk to. Really great kids. Really excited to get their opportunity out in Vegas. Uh, and it was just, it was just a really great experience. So you know, can't thank you and Alex and you know everybody else enough for giving me that opportunity to go out there. But yeah, I, had a, I had a blast. Josie. Hey guys. Yeah. So I'm Joe Camarota. Um, Seton Hall alum, and then I just joined Steelers Depot, I believe it was in October, 
And I've just had, this is like a dream job for me, just getting to write about the Steelers and cover them. So that's just awesome. So thank you guys for this opportunity. And thank you guys for the opportunity to go out to Vegas and cover the Shrine Bowl. It was awesome. Such a great event. I learned so much from from Mel, Josh, Owen, everyone. They just helped me a lot. And then it was really cool to be able to interview the players too. And that was probably, I would say, my favorite part of the part of it because getting to tell their stories and get their stories out there and meet them and what makes them tick what they think they are how they think they're going to help nfl teams that was probably my favorite part of it and being able to write about them and their stories which is all all, overall it was an amazing trip and one of my favorite trips i've ever taken all right well good that's great uh, to start with and and uh this is obviously the first time we've had both these joes on the podcast here as well too so uh congratulations uh to them all right let's uh let's shift gears into actually what happened uh in vegas you know shrine bowl practices and all like that and uh i don't know how you how you guys act actually I, I think you guys may have rotated some position groups in there but i think first and foremost maybe you know we'll start with josh uh you know, let's just quickly kind of go over, you know, some guys that, you know, really stuck out throughout the week here for you at, at, at any position and maybe kind of at the end kind of slant that towards, you know, some guys that you really think the Pittsburgh students could be interested in. Yeah, so the, the first guy that really kind of jumped out to me, I think it was the first day of practice when the West team, uh, they were coached by the Patriots staff. Uh, they were, I think everyone here will agree with me, they were much more physical than the East team uh, throughout their week in practice, and I think that showed in the game. But the guy that jumped out immediately was P.J. Mustafer from Penn State, the interior defensive lineman. Uh, you know, I've I've watched him a lot throughout the years, just at Penn State, being a Penn State fan, and he really acclimated to the big stage, in a sense, uh, right away throughout the week. He had that physicality in practice. Um you know, all-star games, you don't see guys getting into scraps. You know, it's kind of just let's go through the motions here in certain situations, make sure we're healthy, get to the game. But, you know, Mustafer, uh, Joe Clark and I were watching the offensive lineman. I think he fought twice uh, in, in practice, really had that that edge to his game. But he stood out just a, a physical specimen, very powerful, moved very, very well. The all 22 of practice showed that as well. Um, and, and I know Dave, you wanted me to wait and talk about how, you know, what the Steelers might do, but I think that's a guy that fits exactly what they're looking for. He's going to check a lot of boxes along the defensive line, uh, very similar size to Cameron Hayward. He has the NFL bloodlines. His brother is the starting center for the Chicago bears, Sam Mustafer. Uh, he started 46 games with the bears there. And, uh, PJ was a two-year captain at Penn state. That's uh pretty prestigious overall, but he's, he's one guy that really stood out. Uh, another guy was uh, Keandre Coburn, a, a short, squatty uh, nose tackle from Texas, 6'1", 344 pounds. Uh, I know when people hear those numbers, they kind of think, oh, that's just a run, you know, a run stopping, gap plugging nose tackle. But this guy, and I think Joe Clark can attest to this as well, his ability to rush the passer and just generally move, uh, you know, in pass rush drills was very, very impressive. This guy is an athlete. Uh, you know, I, I said the, the Steelers had a lot of success going after a short squatty 330 pound plus nose tackle from Texas many years ago, but Coburn's a bit different. And, uh, that, that's a guy that should certainly be on their radar. Uh, defensively, Brenton Cox really stood out the edge from Florida. Uh, I think he was the best edge defender there all week. Uh, just a really deep arsenal of pass rush moves. Uh, I know he's got some red flags off the field. He was kicked out of the Florida program. We couldn't really get the story from him 
uh, as to why he was kicked out, but it occurred after he punched a Georgia player in a game. But uh, he he has a, a a dominant spin move. He really couldn't be blocked all week long. Uh, I really like the North Carolina State linebacker Isaiah Moore, 6'2", 234. Uh, just comes downhill very hard. I didn't see a lot from him throughout the week in pass coverage, but in the game he had some good reps there. Uh, outside of that, I wish Owen were on here. I know he's interviewing for some jobs, but Starling Thomas the fifth from UAB was the standout corner for us. Uh, Owen kind of identified him going into the week. Uh, we talked to him that first day of media availability, and he just he was a a star throughout the week. Just a very fluid athlete, physical, can play you know in the slot or in the boundary. He he was the top cornerback there. He dominated all week long. Uh, and that's that's a guy that I, I, I'm certain we're going to have a draft profile on here soon. And Owen's also going to have an interview with him uh, coming up. But that's a guy that, you know, he he should be circled as a target for that slot role uh, for the Steelers moving forward. Mel, I, I wanted to ask a question about one person in particular that I know that you seem pretty high on based on some of the interviews and reports that uh, I think you have coming in UCL, uh, UCLA wide receiver. Uh, Jake Bobo and just tell me about him getting to talk to him and, and what his fit in the NFL might be. So Jake Bobo, who finished his uh, college career at UCLA is a wide receiver that I think is really interesting. I don't know that he's the the type of player the Steelers would target, but I think someone's going to get lucky to have him on their team. Um, He's tall. He's six foot four and currently weighing in at 216. So he's not your prototypical slot receiver, but that seems to be where he thrives. Spent four years at Duke and then with a coaching change, decided to finish his last year of eligibility at UCLA. And he can line up anywhere. Um, he has a quick release off the line, which I think makes up for his lack of true burst speed down the field. And his 40 time is not going to impress anyone, but somehow he gets open downfield almost every play. You look at a couple of the regular season games against UCLA, and it was just remarkable what a automatic go-to he was for their quarterback, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. And then you look at the, the Sun Bowl where they played against Pittsburgh, and he was pulling double coverage most of the game, which quiet day for him, but he was allowing his other teammates to make plays. If you watch the Shrine Bowl, you probably won't be very impressed by him. The actual game, um, it was a it was a quiet day for him. Uh, DTR was under a lot of pressure most of the game. He had one beautiful catch on the sideline that you know he had to really reach for and grab. But by that point, he had three defenders on him, and it wasn't he wasn't the intended target. Um, it was a bailout. Um, most of the other plays, he was either seeing multiple coverages, the quarterback was looking elsewhere, or the ball sailed over his head. So I don't think anyone watching the Shrine Bowl is going to come away and think that's the guy. But I would remind people that that's exactly the same situation with Tyquan Thornton last year, who had a fairly unremarkable Shrine Bowl, but a really good week of practice that's now translating into what we see in the NFL. So I think that Jake is a good route runner. Um, he is elusive in terms of getting separation further down the field. And I think that while he's not your prototypical slot, I would not be sad if the Steelers grabbed him. And I think he's going to be tremendous value in the draft. Mel, didn't we determine that uh, uh, 
you know, he had quite a few catches out of slot at UCLA and, and really look, you know, you talk about not prototypical, but, but still that big slot position, you know, in, in the NFL is a thing and he does get open. And I quickly went and, uh, you know, looked, searched out some tape on him. Uh, you know, one thing I, you know, uh, the cat, the, the catch radius with this guy is incredible. You know, uh, he really does a good job, I think, of, of making catches outside of his frame. And I think the other thing that stuck out to me was the yards after the catch, the tough yards after the catch uh, that he has as well, too. And uh, uh, physicality, this is a guy that if you did draft him late in the later rounds uh, and he did wind up as your fifth wide receiver, he could he could he could have extra value on special teams. Right. Talk, talk about some of those topics here. Absolutely. When you look at the stats from UCLA, the number of catchable passes he is targeted for and the number he comes down with is very similar. And he catches some of the ones that you could call uncatchable as well. If you watch his film, there is a move that he does repeatedly against the defender, usually the defensive back, where he plants with his right leg, sends them running that way, and then just moves around to the left and gets free. And they know it's coming. They fall for it anyway. So I think he's got good footwork. I think he's got a really high football IQ. And he caught every single thing that came his way during four days of practice. Um, he loves playing football. He is what Tomlin would call a football player. Um, and as far as special teams go, um, he's not a physical tackler, but he does manage to get in, in players' way. Um, so I think he could theoretically play on the return team. He's worked as a punt returner and kick returner in the past as well. So he did that in practice during the week and did it well. I was a little disappointed he didn't get a shot during the game, but I understand why they stuck with Kaz Allen. And he, of course, is the son of Mike Bobo, right? Former uh, Georgia product. Absolutely. He, every single family member of his is an accomplished athlete, whether at the collegiate or professional level, his uh, aunt is an Olympian from the hockey team. Uh, so good bloodlines. Mel, did you did, were you attracted mostly to uh, what position group did you try to focus on this time around? Was it mostly wide receiver, running backs? You know, it's interesting. I didn't spend a lot of time looking at running backs because I am praying that the Steelers don't spend a draft pick on one. Right. Um, I can talk quickly about them. Um, I think you know there were a couple standouts during the week, and that was true during the game as well. And I'm talking about uh, Jordan Mims and uh, Valaday as well. Um, so just very quickly. Um, Jordan Mims is, I think, probably the, the best running back coming out of the Shrine Bowl practices. And we saw that again um, during the game. I mean, he had a couple explosive plays. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, and he's got the size to be a pass blocker. Um, I really focus more on the wide receivers during the offensive skill position sessions. And the other one I would really look to see the Steelers consider is uh, wide receiver Kaz Allen, also out of UCLA. Um, he's a track star and a football player from high school. Um, he set the state California record for the hundred yard dash, which still stands to this day at 10 seconds, uh, 10.44 seconds. And he's hoping and thinking his 40 time will be 4.3. That absolutely translates on his college tape. Once he gets into open space, he's gone. Um, he's got good footwork and can be elusive. And he started at UCLA as a running back due to injuries and COVID and then bringing in uh, another running back. He actually transitioned to wide receiver in his last two years and was very successful there. He's another guy that can play out of the slot. 
And I was disappointed that that didn't happen at the Shrine Bowl. The Patriots staff said they were going to use him as a slot receiver in the game. And while he lined up there a couple of times, he saw zero targets during the Shrine Bowl game. Um, he's a he's a Swiss Army knife. He can play kick returner. He can play punt returner. He had a really nice 34-yard uh, punt return uh, to start the second half. And he also has very reliable hands. Um, so while at, you know, five foot eight and three eighths, I don't think Steelers fans are going to be excited to see another short wide receiver coming in. Um, he's what they wanted Anthony McFarland to be, I think. Um, and then some. So that's someone that I think would be uh, late round talent with high value. A um, couple other interesting projects coming out of the wide receiver group. Uh, Jadicus Bonds uh, is an FCF guy out of Hampton University. Had a, a slow start to the week, but really came into his own during practices. Um, he had one catch for 20 yards during the Shrine Bowl, but it kind of shows what he can be. Um, and I think he probably will go undrafted, so I wouldn't mind someone stuffing him on the practice squad. Um, as far as other wide receivers, I know people were very high on A.T. Perry. I think he was battling injury all week, and we never really got to see what he could be um, in the game, which he was a late add because of his injury. He had three targets and no catches. Just a rough week for him, and I don't think he ever was able to show what he could do. I had uh, just one more question about the receiver group. The top name, there may be the best prospect, the potential first-round guy there, Zay Flowers from Boston College. I think he didn't work throughout the entire week. Maybe somebody can walk me through what he did, what he didn't do. The Joes, maybe I can ask one of you guys, um, you know, your impression as a Flowers and how much did he participate throughout the week and did he even play in the game? Yeah, so um, Zay did not play in the game. He was out for the first practice on Saturday. Sunday, he said he was just going to go through individuals and just like kind of low contact drills, but as somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but he was as close to as a full participant as you can be. Um, the rest of the week, I think he's dead. I don't, I didn't remember seeing him on Monday and I know he was definitely out on Tuesday. So I think he really only really practiced on Sunday, but I mean, you, you watch him and you see, you, you can buy the hype. I mean, he, he caught a ball. The, the way he just turns up field is just crazy. Like he's going to be, I think I wrote my practice notes. He's going to be a yak monster in the NFL. Um, I definitely think he's worthy of a first round talent. And, you know, I mean, I know it's kind of like a cliche comparison because they, they, they coached him, but I really wouldn't be surprised if it was the Patriots who took a flyer on him in the first round either. I mean, I know that's kind of not their thing to take a, you know, first round receiver, but he's just, he's, he's really that talented. Uh, he was just a guy that just, just popped. Like you see him and it's just immediate, like, wow, this guy's actually really, really good when you're watching him up close in, in person. Uh, Josie, the same question that Dave asked earlier, just your general impressions in terms of maybe some guys that impressed you, impressed you, maybe some guys that just feel like they, they have that Steelers look and feel and mold that would have Pittsburgh interested. So for guys that impressed me, number one was uh, Jalen Moreno Cropper. He was insane throughout the whole week of practice, in my opinion. He would just win one-on-ones all the time. And I know one-on-one versus the defensive back, normally the, the wide receiver is going to have the advantage. There's no, no safety help or anything. But he just creates space. Like, 
I don't want to say Deontay Johnson us because I mean Deontay's in a world of his own, but he would consistently create a lot of space and leave the quarterbacks a lot of room to just hit him. And he also had one play on I believe it was the last day of practice where he made a great adjustment in in midair to to turn back and catch the ball. So that impressed me too because he's he's on the shorter side for a receiver. So that so he's going to be someone interest, interesting, but I think he's going to go maybe mid, mid like mid third or fourth round. So I don't know if the Steelers are going to get get to be able to take him based on just what they need and where where they're picking. But he's someone I'm going to be interested to watch in the NFL. Uh, and then I watched a lot of linebackers, especially on the West team. As Josh said, Isaiah Moore stood out. He he's a leader. Uh, just on the field when you watch, there was some times where I think it was a seven on seven drill or something. It was near the goal line, and he was calling out the play. So that kind of stood out to me. And and he was pretty pretty good in the run game. He could shed blocks. And then I believe it was let me get his name. It was the Boston College kid. Um, I have it down in my notes. Uh, I was let me actually I have the roster. Jaden Woodby. Jaden Woodby. Yes, he was very good, and he was a defensive back turned linebacker, which was something that had kind of was a weird thing that a lot of the linebackers had. I know Charlie Thomas was like that. Even uh, Anthony Orgy was also a, a defensive back before he uh, turned into a linebacker. So that was something that was kind of odd, in my opinion, at least that a lot of the play, players were defensive backs turned linebackers. But Woodby was the best linebacker, in my opinion, of the whole group, West or East team. He moves really well. He could play in coverage, and he was able to get off blocks really well, despite kind of his size. Frame, uh, Josh. Uh, I think most everybody would agree that 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 there's a good chance that the Steelers will draft an edge rusher at some point during this year's draft. Probably more slanted, to, uh, I don't know, mid round, late round uh, kind of selection in there. At least I think that's the hope that most of us have here. Uh, there was you know good kind of a. Uh, 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 a hodgepodge of different size and measurable type guys that would seem to fit uh, Baldonado out of, uh, out of the university of Pitts. One guy that I got to peek in on at a little bit of tape, uh, couldn't find much on, on Truman Jones, but the other one, Jose Ramirez out of Eastern Michigan, uh, going to probably drop a little bit because of his measurables. I think he's six foot one, seven, eights, uh, 249 at the Shrine Bowl, but boy, can he, he doesn't have, I bet his back doesn't itch very much because he's got 33 and a quarter inch, uh, arms. He has no problem feeding himself either. I would imagine, uh, talk, talk to me about some edge rushers here mid to late guys at the shrine ball uh that you that you think that will not only impress you but think think could fit in what the Steelers do at uh outside linebacker yeah heading into the week Jose Ramirez was kind of the guy uh you know obviously he was he was the big name guy coming in he's probably the top edge there um you know Eastern Michigan has done a really good job in the last few years churning out edge guys Max Crosby from the Raiders was from there uh, and Max was actually at the last day of practice uh, and was was working with Jose Ramirez, um, you know, in between individual reps. So that was that was pretty cool to see. Uh, yeah, he was a little smaller than I expected. Six oh one seven, two hundred forty nine pounds. But he held up very, very well. Uh, another guy I liked coming into the week was Yasir Abdullah from Louisville. Uh, he came in much smaller than I had expected as well. Uh, just over six one two thirty four. But he was really good throughout the week. He showed the ability to drop in coverage. Uh, you know, he would kind of slide out into that slot role at times too, and was able to, you know, handle some slot receivers, running backs out of the backfield. 
Uh, he did really well in one-on-ones uh, in coverage as well. So he he impressed me, but I, I just think he's a little too small. Uh, the one guy that I, I thought had a very good week, uh, but I just don't see him on the Steelers' radar is B.J. Thompson from Stephen F. Austin. That guy, 6'5", but came in at 238 pounds. I mean, he is legitimately a, a beanstalk in a sense. Like He tall, lanky, but needs to put on some weight. Uh, he had a very good week, though. Quick get off, consistently was was beating guys. I believe he had a sack in the game as well. Um, so he he was certainly a guy that that flashed at times. I met I mentioned Brenton Cox from Florida earlier. Uh, Titus Leo from Wagner had a really solid week. I know Mel was pretty high on him coming into the week. He did not disappoint. The one guy that that really flashed for me um, early in the week, but kind of cooled off, was Andre Jones from Louisiana. Uh, just under 6'5", 250 pounds. He just, he he looks like a transformer out there. Like he's well-built, very bulked up. Uh, just, he had a great fake spin move on, uh, I can't recall who the offensive tackle was, but uh, in one-on-ones, he hit him with the DeMarcus Ware fake spin. So that was pretty cool to see in his bag there. Uh, but if, if I had to guess a guy that's on their their radar, from an edge standpoint, it, it's got to be Jose Ramirez. I know he's a little undersized, but that guy has a very deep arsenal of pass rush moves. And uh, like I said, going into the week, he was he was the headliner, and I don't think he disappointed at all. But uh, coming out of the week, the one name that people seem to be talking highly of, but uh, we didn't really see much of, was Caleb Murphy from Ferris State. Uh, I know that he had a sack in the game. Uh, that gave him, I think, 25 and a half sacks on the season, <laughs> which is an absurd mm-hmm. number. He won the Ted Hendricks Award uh, in D2, I believe. I just didn't see much from him in practice. I know that a lot of people were excited to see him just based off the stats alone, but he was very quiet throughout the week. Uh, obviously, like I said, he had the sack in the game, but uh, I've been seeing people saying he was a, a major winner from the week and kind of what Mel said about A.T. Perry uh, you know, people were very high on him coming out of the week as well, but you just didn't see much from those guys. And uh, that was a little disappointing because he was he was a big name going into the week and didn't really flash much. What about what about Bill, Robert Bill? Yeah. So Bill practiced the first day and then that was it. Um, they had to bring in trying to remember who they brought in. They brought in an, an edge um, to replace him. But uh, Beal, he practiced. He was in pads the first day, and then that was the last we heard of him. He wasn't even, uh, you know, the Joes and Mel can correct me if I'm wrong, but he wasn't even available for interviews, um, which was a little disappointing just from him coming from Georgia and, and having that the resume that he does. Um, I do remember him sporting a brace on his shoulder, uh, kind of like what TJ Watt wore when he came back from, from injury. Uh, Beal had that on his right arm, I believe, entering the week. But he practiced Saturday, and then that was pretty much it from him. He wasn't heard of after that, unfortunately. Anybody else want to uh, uh, tap on to what uh, that, that paid attention to the edge rushers? Want to tap into what uh, Josh, you know, tack on to what Josh said? I've yes. got one more name to add to the list if I could. And um, that's Mr. Baldonado from across the practice facility at Pitt. Um Habakkuk Baldonado, he goes by Haba, is a player that uh, Joe C. wrote a really great interview on. Um, He was a delight to talk to throughout the week. He was really focused on his practices and just really, 
I think, impressed during the week. Um, he's someone that can line up at edge or along the line. So he's a pretty talented guy. Um, during the game, I think you really saw what he can do. Uh, he had a tackle for loss in the third quarter. And then uh, late in the fourth quarter, when the East team was trying to come back, he had a nice tip. Um, he had um, he was he had one pass defended as well, so he can drop into coverage if needed. Um, and he chews tape so much that Cameron Hayward wouldn't have nothing to encourage him on. Uh, he's got a high football IQ, uh, loves the game, um, and I you know I don't know if any of the other guys want to just say a quick few words because they probably watched him in practice more than I did. But that's someone I could see on the Steelers' radar for sure. Yeah, I had I, Baldonado was super impressive all week. I mean, his get off was was really solid, and then at the point of attack, he controlled leverage and was able to kind of you know use his power to either run through guys or get leverage and make a move. And then obviously he he really popped in the game. He had half a sack. He had a pressure that forced an interception. Um, and I think he had I think he had a run a tackle for a loss too in the backfield. He had I remember there's back to back plays. He really stood out. Um, I kind of wanted to piggyback with Josh off Murphy. I mean, he played well in the game, but all week, like you said, we just didn't see it. I heard a scout say he was the best player there. I just, he wasn't, he just wasn't really, wasn't really a standout, but a name I would add to the list of somebody who, you know, I kind of liked a little bit, uh, was O'Shawn Mathis out of Nebraska. You know, you talk about those long arms. He's a dude. I think he's got like 35 inch arms. He's six four, two forty seven. Um, he got some lobster crackers on him too. Ten, uh, ten and five eighths inch hands. Yeah, no, he like you. You look at him on the field and you're like, holy hell! Like this guy is, this guy is like something. And I mean, he had a really nice spin move. Um, he just, I mean, his body size is an athletic freak. He was just a lot of fun to watch during practices. I don't remember him doing much of anything during the game, but he definitely made some plays. And you know. If you're looking for like a guy who maybe, maybe could be on the radar outside of Ramirez, he's somebody that really wouldn't surprise me just, you know, cause there's, I feel like there's a lot of potential there. So that was just another name. I kind of wanted to pop onto the list of the edge guys. Uh, Joe C give me an idea. Some of the offensive linemen down there, Pittsburgh doesn't uh, make changes with their starters. They may, they may not, but they'll certainly need to look for depth. They got incredibly lucky and fortunate with the good health they had with the starting five last year. So. Who are some offensive linemen you saw down there that might be some potential day three candidates for the Steelers? So that was more what Josh and Joe Joe Clark were looking at. But a couple of guys that stood out when I watched with them. Well, let me get the names because I'm just bad with names. So I <laughs> okay. really apologize with that. But the old Miss kid was really impressive at times. Again, uh, Josh and Joe Clark would be better with names on this one. I'm going to try to find where if I have their name. In, um, oh, that was The old Miss was Mason Brooks. Mason Brooks, he he stood out a lot. Um, the William and Mary kid as well, he stood out. Colby um, Sorsdal, Sorsdal, yeah, he he looked he looked good. And uh, Josh, you got to interview him, I believe, right? Sor- yeah, so yeah, he's a he's a Pittsburgh kid. Uh, went to Mount Lebanon High School, played in the Whippeal. Um, I know people kind of see the the William and Mary stuff and like, oh, he's a small school kid, but he had multiple uh, Division One offers turned down uh, Central Florida because he wanted to play right away. And uh, he went to William and Mary, started 46 games, was an All-American uh, two years in a row. And and uh, he's working with uh, Duke Mannyweather down at, down in Texas, um, you know, leading up to the draft. So 
Uh, that's a guy that I'm I'm pretty high on. But yeah, Joe Clark and I, I think we kind of were next to each other throughout the entire week watching, you know, the offensive line, defensive line, edge guys. Um, the one guy that we heard, uh, just overheard scouts talking about, and especially Mark Bruner, was was John Ajukwu from Boise State, 6'5", 317. Uh, that guy is long and lanky. Um, I thought he had good hand usage. I thought his footwork was, was sloppy at times, but uh, he started – I think over 30 games at Boise state Um, very impressive week overall for him. He started off slow on Saturday, kind of adjusting to, to some of the guys he was facing for the first time, but you know, Sunday through Tuesday, he was, he was one of the better offensive linemen there. Um, Outside of that, I think uh, juice Scruggs from Penn state terrific week. I think he was one of the best offensive linemen there. Uh, He's a, a center guard, uh, combination spent the last two years playing center at Penn State was a captain this past season with PJ Mustafer, who I mentioned earlier. Um, another guy, Jerome Carvin. I wrote a profile on him uh, on the site. More than I think he had forty six starts, twenty at left guard, seventeen at right guard, and I think ten or so at uh, at center. So that guy played all over in the SEC. He's faced a lot of premier talent. And I thought he had a, a just a very solid, solid week overall. Uh, I know that that Joe Clark is uh, very high on Antonio Maffi from UCLA. He's probably going to have a draft profile on him here. Uh, but another UCLA guy, John Gaines, he he was a center and guard throughout the week. UCLA had some very good talent there. I know that they weren't that good this past season under Chip Kelly, but they had a lot of very good uh, individual talent there. Gaines and, and Maffi are two just absolute maulers on the inside that uh, really stood out in, in one-on-one and, and team sessions uh, and the all 22 throughout the week backed that up. But uh, yeah, you know, Joe Camarota mentioned Mason Brooks. He certainly flashed. I know he really struggled in the game, uh, but throughout practice, he had a, a very solid week. And then uh, the other name I wanted to mention was uh, Ricky Stromberg. I know we just had a, a draft mm-hmm. profile go up on the site of him Um I spent probably 30 minutes just talking to him, um, you know, just about the nuances of playing the offensive line and, and how he dealt with some SEC guys. So I will have a, a uh, interview with him here later in the week. But uh, that guy, <laughs> we saw him in the lobby before uh, check-ins, and he looked like an absolute tank, like just <laughs> a, a massive human being, long arms. It, it looked like he had bricks for shoulders. Um he he was impressive. He he struggled at times with some of the smaller athletic guys. Uh, I know that his teammate Terry Hampton, a defensive lineman, was a late add. Uh, he had some success against him in one on ones. But uh, Stromberg's just a, a solid, solid guy that I think could be a you know a, a seven to eight year starter at center, or could potentially play guard if he needed to. So. It was a very good offensive line group. And like I said, Joe Clark and I, we spent a lot of time watching those guys because uh, we kind of know that the Steelers need to upgrade some there. And I think they could do well on day two and day three, getting a guy or two from uh, the roster that was in Vegas. Uh, Alex uh, Polzuski out of Illinois was a guy that kind of at least, you know, I think there was a little bit of hype going into this week, six foot six, 314 pounds, 33 and three, eight inch arms, a little bit smaller hands at nine and a quarter. Uh, was it, did, did, you know, 
what what's the four one one on him from this week, and who was the best tackle there uh, this week? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about Palczewski. Um, I'm actually gonna have an interview with him going up later this week. So he's the all-time FPS leader in games played. He was probably my favorite player to talk to there, but I think he tweaked his groin. Or yeah, he had some. He tweaked something. I'm pretty sure it was his groin uh, uh, during the first practice, and he was done for the rest of the week. He just shut it down. So I mean, nothing long term. I know he dealt with some injuries in college, but he said it's just a minor thing. He just wants to get healthy, um, just for the draft, you know. Um, in terms of the best offensive tackle there, I mean, honestly, I'm, I don't know if this is really going out on a limb, but I really think Sorsdal was probably the best tackle that in the group. I mean, Brett and Cox, Josh said it was the best edge. I would agree with that. Brett and Cox won with a spin move almost every single time he pulled that out. Um, there was a rep I pulled. I think I put it on Twitter where Sorsdal kind of anticipated it, was able to adjust, was able to win the rep against him. And I just think, all week, Sorzal was just a guy that continually stood out for me on the outside against, you know, some of these better edge rushers. Like, he just didn't really lose reps. He did what he had to do to win. Um, so I would – I think he was probably my biggest standout on the offensive tackle group. But, yeah, I was definitely bummed we didn't get to see more Palczewski because, you know, he's a guy I definitely could see um, – I mean, he's he played six years in college. I think he's only going to be 23, maybe 24 on uh, draft day. And I mean, he, he put it on tape. He was all big 10 first team, Illinois, you know, he led great rushing attack this past season. And he went, I have, I have a ridiculous number written down somewhere. I think he went over 700, 600 pass block reps without allowing a stack. He had a 99% pass block win rate during his time in college. He's just, he's just a dog. I mean, he, I was, I was bummed to get to see more of him because he's somebody I really was looking forward to watching, but yeah, I'm going to have an interview with him going up probably, tomorrow or Friday. He was, a, he was a super fun dude to talk to. And that Colby Swordsdahl you mentioned out of uh, Mike Tomlin's William and Mary, correct? And uh, I think uh, kind of the thing, to uh, uh, sh- a little bit shorter arms at 32 and three quarters and smaller hands as well, too. Is he is is he draftable in the late late late, uh, late rounds or is he more likely to go undrafted or or is he just one of those two to be determined after you watch a little bit more tape? Yeah, I think he's definitely draftable. Uh, I'm going to try and get some tape on him. Uh, you know, I've kind of been going back and forth with the William and Mary offensive line coach since uh, since the Shrine Bowl week. Um, a lot of the scouts that I overheard talking about him had a late day three, so like a sixth or seventh round grade on him. Um, he's right tackle exclusive, unfortunately. Uh, every start he had in college was at right tackle. Mm. But – um, you know, I, I talked to him. He said he's working at guard, uh, right guard, uh, down there with Duke Mannyweather. Uh, he knows that he needs to have that position versatility. He's willing to try reps at center. Um, you know, he, he told the, he, he told me that he said to the coaching staff, he, he wanted to try center that week. Uh, they didn't give him that opportunity, but he did have some snaps at left tackle throughout practice. I think he had some snaps at left tackle in the game, but, all of his starts in college were at right tackle. And like I said, he was, he was a dominant player at the FCS level. Um, you know, coming out of last season, he was the second highest graded FCS offensive lineman uh, from pro football focuses metrics right behind Cody Malk from uh, North Dakota state. Who's kind of been a popular player coming out of the senior bowl. Um, I do think Sorsdahl is, is probably going to kind of get overlooked just coming from a William and Mary program that historically hasn't been very good. I know they had a good year last year, um, but I really think that he could be a, a, a guy that 
carves out a role uh, at the next level. He he adjusted to the increase in competition rather quickly, uh, showed very good footwork, good hand usage. And uh, yeah, he just, he really had a plan going into the week and, and just seemed to see things, you know, set up very well. Like Josie mentioned, Brenton Cox was beating everyone with a spin move and, and Sorsdahl, you know, saw it coming, handled it very well. And I think the one thing that impressed me the most uh, Tuesday when they were in the, the Raiders practice facility in Henderson, which uh, if you think Allegiant Stadium is a spaceship, uh, that <laughs> that practice facility is incredibly impressive. Um, Sorsdahl and, and Haba, uh, Habakkuk Baldonado were were getting after it in, in walkthrough. Like they were consistently working on their craft, you know, their pass sets. They were taking it very seriously and uh, they had some good battles in, in walkthrough. And I found that very impressive that they were trying to continue to to work on their craft while others were kind of just going through the motions and trying to get to game week. So, so that stood out to me. And I, I think, you know, I mentioned that to Joe Clark as well. Like, look at those guys going after it. And uh, I even heard some scouts murmuring about that. So, yeah, I definitely think he's draftable, Dave. Um, I'd probably say, you know, sixth, seventh round for sure. And I think he's going to, he's going to impress when he gets into an NFL uh, system, you know, weight program, training camp, all that. Uh, and, and and am I reading the room correct that uh, Mafi out of uh, UCLA was the best interior player or no? He looked uh, great when I saw him. Like I didn't like I, like I said, I only think I watched offensive line one day, but he looked really good out there. And even during the team sessions, he didn't get beat like at all. Like he was maybe like once or twice, but he was normally pretty good in his anchor. He could get to the second level too. And what was interesting is that I know Joe Clark and I interviewed him. He went from D line to O line, and he didn't really. It didn't seem like it bothered him at all because he he just performed consistently. He's a mauler for sure. Mel, uh, defense alignment, an area of focus, area of need for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know how much you watch of that group, but do you have anything on maybe some interior defense alignment that that stuck out to you? Yeah, there were definitely a couple. I mean, I would I would agree with Josh that uh, PJ Mustafer stands out. Uh, both on and off the field um, as someone that really seems to fit the Steelers scheme and, and is a guy that I think they would definitely take a look at. Um, you know, anyway. I want to, I want to turn this over to Josh because I know he was okay. so on Keandre Coburn and he'll do a better job than I will, but he okay. was someone that I think we all were watching during the week. All right, Josh, what's up on Coburn? Yeah. Coburn, just that short squatty, powerful guy. Um, you know, he, He's a wide body. Uh, you know, I watched some tape heading into the the, the Shrine Bowl. Uh, you know, I got my hands on some Texas All-22, and that guy just eats up blockers. Uh, you cannot move him off the point of attack. He can just he can just sit and anchor and eat up gaps if you need him to. Um, they asked him to penetrate throughout the week, and he has a very impressive get-off for a man that's 344 pounds. Um it just he just moves different for his size. Like it's it's very hard to explain, but like there were reps where Joe Clark and I looked at each other and were like, wow, like that guy that big should not be able to do that. Um, I definitely think he's got to be on the radar, you know, late day two, early day three. Um, outside of that, Broderick Martin, Western Kentucky, uh started slow, but he really came on high energy, high effort guy. I know he had the fumble recovery in the game. He flashed some pass rushing chops as well. Um, you know, he had a powerful uh, rip move that that was really hard to, to deal with throughout the week for guys. 
guy in the, the Steelers' backyard, in a sense, Dante Stills from West Virginia. Uh, you want to talk about a freaky athlete on the inside. Uh, he he really impressed me in, in one-on-ones and team sessions, just his ability to beat guys consistently with, with different moves. Um, you know, he, he got a lot of coaching up from the, the Falcons staff at times, uh, cause it felt like he was trying to, in a sense, show too much in, in one-on-ones. Like he was trying to be above and beyond and impress and it, it, he wasn't doing the drills correctly at times, but man, you get him into a competitive situation and, and he just upped his game. Uh, to a new level and was probably one of the better defensive linemen there. The West roster, though, P.J. Mustafer was the guy. Um, you know, I, I've said it before. Like, I don't know if it was the 97 he was wearing or the old school face mask with the bar down the middle, but he just – there's a lot of similarities in his game to Cameron Hayward, and he told me that's a guy that he's watched consistently since he was in high school, just trying to take stuff from his game. Um, he has that that nasty edge to his game. The power is very, very prominent, uh, and and he he had just had a, had a great week. Uh, outside of those guys, Jerron Cage uh, from Ohio State, 6'2", 307, he impressed late in the week. I think once he found his footing and, and really got comfortable in the, in the scheme and, you know, kind of doing the things he was supposed to do within the, the system overall, he had a, a really solid week. The one guy I was disappointed in, uh, and I think it was largely due to injury, was Teron Vincent. That's Troy Vincent's kid, um, Teron Vincent from Ohio State, 6'1", 305. He had a nice day of practice on Saturday, but then I think I think Mel said he tweaked his knee. He was on the trainer's table at one point with a bag of ice on his knee. Um, Mel, if I'm getting that wrong, please chime in. But uh, No, he, you're right, and he told me that it was no big deal and he was definitely going to play, but it yeah, seemed and like then he didn't, athletes yeah, always say that. Yeah, so he he had a solid first day of practice and then uh, kind of disappeared, which was a little disappointing because I wanted to see that guy from that program with those bloodlines, you know, what he could bring to the table. But uh, yeah, Mustafer and Coburn are are my two guys from there. Uh, Coburn, oh, go ahead. Uh, just Coburn was so impressive. Like I, I, I figured with his measurables and, and his stats from Texas and just looking at some of the initial tape, like. Okay, he's just going to be a, a two down guy. You know, he can be a, a one or two gapper. He's just going to eat up blocks. But man, when they when when the Falcons coaching staff turned him loose, it it was jaw dropping. All right, uh, off the ball linebackers, uh, you know, guys that can that can play inside. I have uh, I had uh, Anthony uh, Orgy out of Vander, Vanderbilt circled going into this week. Uh, overall, and since the practices, uh, I had the Tennessee kid Banks, I think, circled here as well, too. Uh, talk talk to us a little bit about some off-the-ball linebackers that would fit uh, with, 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 with what the Steelers do. So that was a group I watched a lot. And Orgy, I was really high going into just based off stats and everything, kind of just, just looking at that, and I was really excited to watch him. But to be honest, he didn't really impress me out there. I thought he kind of got moved around a lot. Like there were pl- times where he had good player recognition. He could get to the backfield credit to him. And he had a great play, great interception. I think it was on one of the first two practices. But other than that, I, I didn't. Re- he didn't really impress me too much. He felt like he was a little slow to some stuff and he got pushed around a little bit. Banks looked good at times. Uh, I think it was the last practice that he really impressed me. And uh, there was one practice too in particular that, that stood out to me where 
he kind of struggled early on in individuals when I was watching him. He got some some uh, help from the, the the coaching staff there. And then in team sessions, he looked like the best linebacker out of that. Uh, I believe it was the East team. I think that was the one he was on. And but the other the um let me let me look for the names real quick. The West uh, linebackers were really more impressive to me. Like uh, we mentioned earlier, Isaiah Moore was was super impressive. Uh, Drake Thomas looked good from NC State. Those two NC State guys, Jaden Woodby looked good. And I think what's going to be interesting for who the Steelers look to get is it depends on what type of mold they want. If they're looking for more an athletic type of inside linebacker who could cover a little bit more, I, I would see them looking more for a Jaden Woodby or a Charlie Thomas, a guy who was a defensive back moved into the linebacker role who who could kind of do both and, and are, were better in coverage. If they're looking for more of like a prototypical linebacker type of guy who they want to be able to like, you know, stop the run more and more focus on that. And if they're kind of more content with keeping like a, a Robert Spillane to be able to play the pass, I mean, hopefully they don't, but if they do, then I, I think Isaiah Moore is the type of guy that stands out. I believe Josh was saying that Banks might not be able to, might not be on the Steelers radar based on off character issues. So while he looked good out there, that might that might kind of steer the team away. But I would say Moore would be were were two were the two guys that stood out there. Drake Thomas looked interesting. Shaka Hayward was pretty good in coverage as well. So I think it really depends on what the team's looking for based off in their linebacker. Do they want one who's more coverage oriented, more strong on the coverage side, or do they want more of a a thumper type of linebacker? Do we have any confirmation if Shaka Hayward is actually related to Connor and Cam? I feel so, like we're having mixed messages. Go ahead, John. So I, I reached out to uh, Charlotte Hayward, Cam and Connor's mom. Mm-hmm. Um, she wasn't very sure either. Okay. Uh, okay. So, there, you know, Duke pushed it that they were related, um, you know, and she said, I can neither confirm nor deny, you know, we wish Shaka the best. I, I Yeah, I don't know. Apparently, they've never you know, Cam and Connor have never met Shaka. So yeah, who knows? I know that the agent uh, messaged Joe Clark and said that they're first cousins, which <laughs> that doesn't exactly line up uh, if you look at the, the family tree, but um, yeah, we, we don't know. We So if he becomes a stealer, that's a massive storyline that we're going to need to get figured out. But it is important to note that there's no relationship there, I guess, even if they are happen to be Correct. related they're, they're, It's not like they know each other well correct. or at all. OK, based gotcha. off of what I, I gathered, uh, that is that is correct. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what's interesting is I spoke with Mike Yam from the NFL Network, who was there covering the Shrine Bowl as well. And he spoke with Shaka as well as uh, the agent and some of the reporters from the Duke area. And the story is very fluid. Sometimes it's a first cousin. Sometimes it's a second or third cousin. So whatever it is, I think that Chaka probably doesn't even know. Okay, gotcha. So, uh, Joe Clark, any thoughts there? Anything else you want to add in terms of off-ball guys or any other just defenders that stuck out to you? Yeah, so the uh, I, I know Joe touched on the one off-ball guy, besides Isaiah Moore, who I think is probably the best guy going in and and uh, really showed it out of the game with his coverage ability and all week with his ability to get downhill. But uh, it was his teammate in Drake Thomas. So Drake Thomas had two interceptions. Uh, during practice, I believe it was on Monday, maybe it was Sunday. It was one of those days he had two interceptions. During 1v1s, he undercut a route, made a really nice read on the ball, picked it off. Then he had one in the end zone when they're doing uh, working on like short yard situations. So he was somebody that, you know, is kind of, you don't have to draft him just to, you know, would be probably more of a coverage linebacker. Isaiah Moore was able to do it both, but if you're not going to be able to get Isaiah Moore, Drake Thomas isn't really a, 
a bad alternative as somebody you know can can pop the pads a little bit and also step out and cover i mean he probably a good like fifth sixth maybe round guy um i would say just based off what i saw off him so he was someday kind of want to highlight and yeah like uh joe touched on banks's off the field character issues i would be surprised if he ended up in a steelers uniform uh obviously not having owen here owen is our cornerback safety uh guru if you will i know he uh spent a lot of time uh, uh, watching those groups of players and we'll have a lot, a lot to say. We're going to try to maybe have him on sometime next week there. But, uh, for, for, for those of you, uh, that watch the DBs along with him, maybe, uh, you want to, want to give us a, a quick, quick rundown of, of, of some guys that had some good weeks there that, that should be on the Steelers radar. Uh, obviously, uh, Clark out of Louisville is probably going to be the guy that, that Owen really highlights the most there, but outside of him, uh, Josh or Joe's or yeah, whoever. I, I could kind of jump in there quickly. Um, first few days I spent, you know, watching some DBs with Owen, just kind of getting a feel for what he was looking for. Yeah. Keytrail Clark was the guy, uh, definitely that, that Swiss army knife in, in the secondary can kind of play that slot role, had some reps at a boundary corner, uh, very physical guy transferred to Louisville from Liberty, uh, and, and had a very impressive year. He, he was probably the best player overall uh in las vegas like he he really impressed um outside of him you know there there were some guys deshaun jameson from texas kind of that marcus jones mold uh from houston last year a very good return guy uh texas used him on offense at times as well uh you know he he's more of a slot guy but saw a lot of reps on the boundary had a good first few days but kind of tailed off there at the end of the week uh, Nehemiah Shelton from San Jose State. I know Joe C was pretty high on him. Uh, he closed the week in impressive fashion. AJ Finley from Ole Miss. <laughs> he had three picks in one day, which was, I don't think I've ever seen that in an all star session overall. Uh, he was just constantly around the football. You know, that safety, uh, you know, slot corner hybrid, really solid week. Outside of that, um, you know, Jordan Howden from Minnesota, we talked to him the first day uh, of media availability. Just a very cerebral guy, great team leader, can kind of be that box safety uh, moving forward. Trey Dean the third was fantastic down the stretch uh, there that week. I think he was the uh, Shrine Bowl defensive MVP due to the interception. Uh, he was constantly around the football. Uh, the, the Patriots staff had to tell him to stop being so physical at one point because uh, he legitimately laid out, uh, I believe it was A.T. Perry uh, in a practice, like on a, on a post route, he, he actually hit him. So mm. uh, very physical guy overall. Uh, I mentioned Starling Thomas the fifth before, but uh, the guy that I wanted to get a better look at was Jalen Williams out of Indiana. And I know that Owen will, will certainly have more thoughts on him moving forward, but that was a guy that um, Alex, I think you wrote that up. Uh, that he had met with Ike Taylor multiple times at the Hula Bowl, and then he got the call up to the Shrine Bowl. Um, not not overly impressed with him. Uh, you know, he I think he struggled to get up to speed quickly, but uh, I think he made some plays in the game, if I'm recalling correctly. But that's a guy I want to see more of. Um, certainly has the size and the physicality, but uh, didn't have as impactful of a week that I was kind of hoping for after hearing that he – got the call up from the hula bowl and spoke multiple times with like Taylor. 
Mel, uh, coming out, I seem to remember coming out of last year's uh, Shrine Bowl in my notes here, you talking about Isaiah Pacheco, you talking about Thornton out of uh, the Baylor kid, and I think a little bit, then, then I cut up some Brock Purdy stuff for you, this, this some kid Brock Purdy, or uh, don't, don't know much about that Brock Purdy kid, but uh, uh, <laughs> uh, who's the best quarterback uh, uh, this year at, uh, in, in this year's group? Ah, uh, that's a low bar. Uh, <laughs> and sure, sure, I, and, I, and I understand. Look, I mean, look, it, the the Shrine Bowl this the game this year was not as exciting as the uh, one last year. But just just general, who do you feel is the best quarterback to come out of out of this group this year? I would have to say it's UCLA's Dorian Thompson Robinson, and it's not even close. Okay. Um, he played almost the entire Shrine Bowl because the other two guys could not make anything happen. Um, I think he's what the NFL is looking for, you know, in this era for a quarterback. Um, he is, you know, fast on his feet, make plays on his feet. I think as he gets to the next level, he will learn that it's not always about letting the play go, but extending the play. Um, much as we saw Kenny Pickett make that progress during the course of this past season. I think the biggest thing he needs to work on is accuracy. If you look at the number of catchable passes, he throws just this past season at UCLA. It's not what it should be, but I do think that's something that's coachable. Um, I think he reads the field well. Um, I think he can be a leader on his team. And I think he, of all the guys, has the greatest potential to get to the next level and succeed in the NFL. Will he be a starting quarterback on an NFL team? I'm not sure, but at the very least, he could be a reliable backup. We only have a couple minutes left. I do want to ask a quick follow-up to Joe C. I know you talked to Dorian Thompson Robinson, and he talked about maybe kind of being on the Steelers' radar. I know that's a catch-all kind of term during draft season, but what was your conversation like with him, Joe C.? It was really cool. He was a cool guy. Uh, what was interesting is I think Mel kind of told me this too earlier on uh, before all the interviews. Like there's some guys who have a lot more like kind of like are media savvy and other guys who just aren't. He was one of those guys who who's kind of media savvy. He kind of all his answers kind of wasn't it didn't like it felt like a conversation, but like he kind of knew what he was doing, like navigating the media, if that makes sense. Sure. So he'll be interesting for sure. I mean, stats wise, I mean, he has the stats, but like like Mel said, there wasn't really too much of a standout there. He'd be an interesting late round undrafted guy to bring into the team. I think he'd be a good fit culture wise. He seems he seems like a good good person, and he doesn't seem like someone who has an ego to the point where it's like, oh, I got to be starting type of thing. Which would be it's good for late round quarterbacks. So I think he'd be someone good, and he's also a dynamic type of player. It's not going to be like a Mason Rudolph type of thing where I can't really move. He he'll be able to move. He'll be able to run a, a Matt Cannon type offense if he has to get out, kind of like Kenny Pickett can. So, mm-hmm. Mel, uh, we haven't talked about tight ends at all. I know it's not a high priority for Pittsburgh, but if they lose that gentry to free agency, there will be a need there. You talked to Cincinnati's Leonard Taylor. What was your conversation with him like? So this year at the Shrine Bowl, there were no obvious standouts. There was no Jelani Woods. There was no uh, Chigakonkwo, unfortunately. Um, but within the tight end group, I have to say that um, Leonard Taylor um, out of Cincinnati was probably the one that stood out and impressed me the most. Um, he's a guy that came into the program as his teammates would joke more like a biscuit. I mean, he maintained the <laughs> same weight throughout his, his four years of college, 
um, but became an absolute workout warrior to the point where he actually won uh, the Iron Braveheart Award from the from the strength and conditioning staff his final year. So he changed that weight from from just pure bulk to muscle. Um, I think that he has potential for growth. He's got good hands. He's a decent route runner. He can block. Uh, he specifically said to me that, you know, he's confident in his run blocking. He wants to work on his pass blocking more. And I think if you watch film, you'll see that is an area for improvement. Um, he's someone that I think really matured during his college years and understands what it takes to succeed at the NFL level. And I think that that's someone that, you know, if he goes undrafted would certainly be a very valuable uh, player to add to the roster, or even just as a late round pick, I, I think of the entire group, he's probably the person that um, the, the player that really makes the most sense. Um, the other player that caught my eye was Nebraska's Travis Vokalek. Um, He was quiet the first few days in practice, um, but really stood out the last two days in practice. Um, he's, he's a guy who can actually get separations, got good hands, the third day of practice, it was 38 degrees and raining. Um, you saw a lot of uh, pass catchers adding gloves. He was one of the few guys that still caught everything that came his way. Um, so he could also be an interesting prospect for the Steelers. Luke Schoonmaker uh, is recovering from a shoulder issue. So we unfortunately did not get to see him practice. He stayed with his position group um, and was, was present at the game as well and does plan to participate in the combine. So that's someone certainly to have on the radar. All right, let's, uh, let's start wrapping it up this way, Alex, a, a kind of a, 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 a creative way here. Each of you, I want you to name three players from the Shrine Bowl week. Uh, you don't, don't, we don't have time to go in depth on them, but name three players each from the Shrine Bowl week that you could most see wind up being uh, on the Steelers offseason roster here either via the draft or undrafted free agent. And then give us, a, uh, after you do that, each of you give us just kind of your uh, brief synopsis of your biggest takeaway uh, from the week at the Shrine Bowl in Las Vegas. Okay, I can start. Um, so the three players, I'm going to go with Josh. Uh, Josh's guy with Keandre Coburn. I mean, he was just, he was a beast. He was super fun to watch. I'll go Antonio Maffi, and then I'll go John Ajukwu. Um, I don't know if they, they'll double down with a guard and a tackle, but I think they need to improve in the trenches. So I, I think one of those two will probably end up on their roster. My biggest takeaway from the Shrine Bowl week in general is just how much coaching matters. I mean, the difference between the Patriots staff and the way those guys were t- played all week and the Falcon staff was pretty, pretty startling. Um, and just it, it, the game when it was a physical affair it was a pretty bad game in general, but the West team was more prepared. I mean, they, the uh, both offenses kind of stunk, but defensively it was the West guys that, you know, came out, played with that physicality, played with that edge. And that's what we saw in practice all week. So that really wasn't a result that surprised me too much. Josie. I'm muted. I'm sorry. Uh, for one would be Soresdale. Uh, two would be AJ Finley, the safety from Ole Miss. I think he was just around the ball all the time. I could see him being a late round pick for the Steelers who might need help in the defensive backfield. And then if he's, if the Steelers are looking for a wide receiver in the middle rounds, maybe Jalen Cropper, he's shifty. He could get open and he could play the slot. So that, that's a name I I might watch for if he's around then. And then my biggest takeaway was honestly how good of a coach Steve Belichick is. I was 
sitting around like I, I was really watching the, the the inside linebackers and I got to hear him coach. He was insane. I, I think I picked up a few things from him. Like he he was just great. Good. Mel. So I'm going to go back to my campaign for uh, UCLA's wide receiver slash running back Kaz Allen. I think he could fit in as the third running back. I think he could add depth at wide receiver. I do think the Steelers will probably be drafting a wide receiver, you know, in, in the second to fourth round, as we've all talked about. Um, but I think he would be incredible value uh, in later rounds. Um, with the safety group, I got to go with AJ Finley. I agree with Joe C. I mean, he is a high football IQ guy, incredibly mature. Um, and you saw him just so active around the ball, even when it wasn't his play. He's a classic DB who does a lot of chatter on the field. He's going to get in wide receivers heads. And yet on the sidelines, he's thoughtful and intelligent. And I would love to see him, uh, come to Pittsburgh. And then on the edge, I I got to go with uh, Jose Ramirez. I mean, set the the nation's and the, and Eastern Michigan's uh, sack record last year. He understands um, how to adjust his play to the the um, blocking that he's seen. And I know his size isn't ideal, but I definitely think he's someone that really would uh, add phenomenal depth at the edge for for Pittsburgh. The biggest I takeaway. Biggest takeaway. Um, other, other than how, how, other than how good my hair looks now. Oh, <laughs> couple of things that you folks listening will never know. Davis changes hairstyle. He's rocking it, and he looks amazing. <laughs> and I also appreciate the sim- singular power of Bill Belichick, who had some kind of skin cancer procedure done on the right side of his face, and was wearing a bandage, and he managed to get every photographer every videographer to only shoot him from the left side both at practice and during the game that <laughs> man has power and that's your that's your medical insider uh so my biggest takeaway once again is just what a privilege it is um to spend the time with these players and have the access to these players that we do i mean these are young men that have worked their entire lives for this opportunity who are on the cusp of realizing their dreams and the amount of time and and the way they they share with us and the way they share their lives and their hopes and their dreams is just something that I really appreciate. Uh, it's a it's a privilege to be representing Steelers Depot at this event and I can't thank you and Alex enough for allowing me that opportunity. Um, but for the players, they're very generous in in what they give us and it's it's really a luxury. Brother Josh, take us home. I'll mention three names that we really haven't talked about. Uh, first one's Carter Warren, tackle out of pit. Uh, okay. He obviously did not participate uh, in practices or the game. He's still recovering from an injury that he would not tell Joe Clark and I what the injury was, which I found very strange and slightly concerning. Um, he's still currently rehabbing, but I think everyone knows the connection there. Um, you know, he was Kenny Pickett's left tackle as well. So that's a name. Uh, outside of that, wide receiver Joseph Nada from Clemson, height, weight, speed guy, special teams abilities, uh, was fantastic all week working as a gunner, beating the vice consistently. Um, he had some issues catching the football at times, but that's a four star, former four star recruit. Um, you know, definitely has that that pedigree uh, coming out of Clemson. So that's a guy to watch. And then 
I'll probably I, I gotta go back to to Mustafer. I, I can't get away from him. Okay. Um I, I just think he checks so many boxes overall uh for what the Steelers are looking for. And I I'd I bet he's probably he I really think he's gonna be a stealer. Like I just have a feeling he's gonna be a stealer on day two, early day three. My takeaway though is uh Man, these rosters at the East-West Shrine Bowl are getting better and better every year. I think Eric Galco and, and his scouting staff did a fantastic job putting this group together. I mean, getting Zay Flowers, even though he participated one day, uh, getting him to skip the Senior Bowl to come to Vegas for the East-West Shrine game was a huge win. Uh, there are a lot of players uh, here that are, are going to have significant chances in the NFL or the XFL, the CFL, the USFL, whatever it may be. Um, just what a great job they did putting the roster together and really growing this thing in, in year two. The first few days of practice, uh, it was packed. You could barely move on the sideline with the amount of scouts and media uh, that were there. And that was that was very impressive to see. And uh, the guys on the field certainly didn't let us down. They, they were uh, very solid throughout the week. Josh, I just had one last question. Um, take me through the Steelers' presence there. I know you tweeted out a bit during the week some of the scouts. You saw some of the personnel members. What Steelers uh, did you see attending the Shrine Bowl? Yeah, so uh, Mark Bruner was there again. He was kind of the lead scout for them um, you know, throughout the week. He was there all week, um, even at the Tuesday uh, practice. So he did not leave for Mobile. Um Chidi Iwuma was there as well. I know that uh, makes Alex Hart feed a little faster. <laughs> and at the um, senior, I got to see him at the senior bowl. I walked right. past him. I was too Perfect. scared to talk to him, but I did see him there. <laughs> yeah, He was there. Uh, scouting intern Bronson Williams was there. Uh, he was shadowing Mark Bruner quite a bit. Um, outside of that, Phil, uh, is it Phil Kreidler? Kreidler, yeah. Yeah, he was there. Mel and I met him. Um, and then I think Joe Clark saw Chris Watts, who's, um, he was watching a lot of the offensive line, defensive line. He was there. There's one other one I'm forgetting. I think Joe can jump in. Yeah, uh, Mark Sadowski was there yes. at least on uh, Saturday and Sunday, as well as uh, Dan Colbert were both there. They were, they were kind of stuck together for a little bit watching some guys. Yeah, so, okay. uh, you know, those those six or seven, that was certainly a, a, a larger um, group than what was there last year, which were three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Steelers were definitely well attended when it came to the Shrine Bowl. Which gotcha. one of the which one of the four of you had the best time? Not me. I lost forty bucks in ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Josie it's... definitely came home the big winner from the casinos. <laughs> well, it sounds like Josie. Uh, any secrets for your uh, first time there? Um, find a penny that's heads up, and then uh, good luck from there. <laughs> no, but if you're playing roulette, just go off field. That's, that's literally it. Just go off field. The town right. that the town that losers built. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dave, we, any final we, questions? No, no. I just uh, so proud of him, man. Uh, Alex and I, you know, it's our goal uh, now. You know, move and has been for quite a while with Steelers Depot to get as many people as pos- possible to kind of experience this kind of stuff, send as many people as we can to the Shrine Bowl and to the Senior Bowl, and then, you know, fortunately coming up here in a couple weeks to Combine as well, too, and just so proud uh, of of the knowledge that they're like, because look, hey, you know, I, there's no way I can watch tape on all these players within this draft process, and the same goes with Alex, too, there, so we, we rely on a lot of these uh, uh, 
uh, people to, to, to be our eyes and ears and just really just so incredibly uh, proud of the work that was put in here in Las Vegas this week. Absolutely. Uh, you guys did a fantastic job making us feel like we were there. Uh, the readers feel like that they were there. And it was good for me, too, to have this conversation right now because I was getting ready for the Senior Bowl. So I didn't get to spend a lot of time focused on uh, what was happening at the Shrine Bowl. So this is really informative for me and hopefully for the listeners as well. We'll have Owen Straley on sometime in the near future to get his perspective on the week in Vegas. And as uh, Dave mentioned, we'll have uh, Jonathan Hightritter and Joe Clark going to this year's combine uh, later this month. And so that'll be really exciting for them and for the site. So cannot thank you guys enough. Really appreciate your time. And we'll have you guys on uh, hopefully, you know, sometime around the actual draft happening. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, our special thanks to the Joes and Mel and Josh for their fantastic uh, work, not only in this last hour, talking about their experience at the Shrine Bowl, but of course, the actual work they put in while they were in Las Vegas with the practice reports and player interviews and just all the work they put in. I know it's a ton of work. It's nonstop, busy, busy, but um, they did a tremendous job and we're so thankful they could go and bring that coverage to you guys and to you and I as well. Yeah, absolutely. I really uh, uh, benefited from, once again, hopefully the uh, le- readers and listeners will as well uh, on top of it. Uh, it's just a joy to have them out here. When they the, the day that they got here, I was able to take them all out and, you know, uh, to one of my favorite burger spots here in Las Vegas and sit down with all of them for a couple hours and break some bread and, and, and all like that. But uh, really, really proud of the group and uh, I think they had a good time as well. Yeah, sounds like it. So, Dave, let's get to just a couple of reader emails and close out today's show. All right. Uh, Let me sort them out here real, real quick. Just a reminder, on Friday, we'll have the Senior Bowl crew uh, Mm -hmm. to recap their experience there. So similar format will be occurring on Friday. All right. uh, From uh, App Gator. Hey, guys, always love the content. Really enjoyed Dave's breakdown of the cap. I have a few interesting questions for you. Congrats to Flores on the Vikings uh, defensive coordinator job. Uh, Would you like the idea of hiring uh, Kingsbury as a passing coordinator assistant or maybe Luke? Keekly as a linebackers defensive uh, assistant. That's question number one. First, uh, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, he's he's over in like He's in Thailand, Thailand right or something <laughs> like I think his plan, uh, w- would I mind it? No, I wouldn't mind it. I, I just don't think I don't think there's a likelihood of, 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 of such a thing happening. And he says uh, maybe Luke Keekley is a linebackers defensive assistant. I, I don't I haven't been really keeping up with Luke Keekley too terribly much. Incredibly smart guy, man. He, you want to talk about a linebacker that was ashamed to uh, see his career in so quickly because of the, the whole concussion thing and all like that. I mean, uh, I, I don't even know where he stands in, 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 in potentially maybe wanting to be a coach, Alex. Yeah, I have no idea. I know he was scouting a bit for the Panthers. Um, defensively, you could throw out a million names, and I'd be generally okay with it, kind of more the front seven. I don't think you have to add a guy with a defensive back background because you already have Austin, who has that mindset, and Grady Brown as well. People do have to realize, though I've gotten this question a bit, Matt Canada is essentially the de facto pass game coordinator in Pittsburgh. The way that it's been structured for a long time is the offensive line coach essentially handles the run game scheme and the and the actual coordinator basically works with the actual uh, pass game. So the title isn't official. I know it's a, a a sexy title that's you know commonplace around the league, pass game coordinator. But to me in Pittsburgh, Canada is essentially that guy and adding another pass game coordinator just seems pretty redundant. 
Okay, he says, uh, I read an article on your site that during the bye week, the players had more buy-in to the Canada system after hearing what it would ultimately progress to. Have we already seen that progression, or is there more to open up uh, next season? Look, uh, uh, we just highlight that because it, 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 it became several players were asked about it. Several players commented about that bye week quote unquote meeting and, and all like that, uh, you know, not, not, not being in the room, you know, how, how much impact all we can do is take the comments kind of at, at, at face value. And, you know, I think Kevin Dotson's has talked about, it. I think what Pickett talked about it, uh, Najee talked about it. A Najee, lot. I think Firemuth maybe, maybe even talked about that. So, you know, I, I, I just think that you pass those things along and, you know, you you read into it. I guess what you want to read into it. Uh, uh, look, the offense did get better during the second half of the season. How much of that was related to to you know opposition that they played? While it did get better, there there is still a lot of room. He says, uh, "Have we already seen that progression, or is there more to open up next season?" There is a ton more <laughs> to open up uh, next season. Look, Alex and I just talked the other day about the. Uh, uh, about the uh, the hot you know the hot uh, uh, hot routes and all like that. I mean, we should really see this uh, this offense right out of the shoot, especially with the amount of people that 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 we expect week one of the season to be back as part of this offense. Uh, we should see this 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 offense. Score more points, back back Canada would say uh, here. We have to see more explosive plays too. We have to see less penalties. We have to see uh, less uh, mes, as the kid likes to call them uh, these days. Mental errors, uh, those kind of things. So, uh, yeah, the short answer is we should see more progression. This offense opened up more next uh, in two thousand twenty-three. God, I hope so. Because this offense was pretty closed. I don't know. If, can you be any more closed than this offense was? It was like a fragile glass container you're shipping in bubble wrap and tape and 10 boxes. I mean, this offense cannot have been more closed. And I understand why it was. And the approach, again, worked. The offense turned around. They went 7-2 and two down and down the stretch. But no team ran the ball more the second half of the season than the Pittsburgh Steelers. And so this offense with Pickett, now the guy, year two for him, the full offseason as the starter, no quarterback debate or controversy. This offense better open up. If it doesn't, then that's a huge problem. Uh, the final part of this question here real quick is, Dave, do the Bengals have the cap situation to keep their defensive and offensive weapons, or will they soon uh, will they see that having a longtime franchise quarterback that won't take a friend, team-friendly deal like uh, Tom Brady makes filling a loaded team difficult? Uh, short answer to that, I, I obviously – pay very, very, very close attention to, to the Steelers cap situation, uh, around the league. I loosely, uh, pay attention, uh, to teams cap situation. I more than anything, I pay attention to contracts of individual players more so than I do team situations, but make no mistake about it. Everything this off season with Cincinnati Bengals is a going to be driven around, uh, what kind of deal they give, uh, Joe Burrow 
how much guaranteed money? What's his cap hit going to be in 2023? What's the guaranteed portion? How likely, you know, what's, what's the future restructure uh, situation uh, look like with them? They are going to probably have a little bit of problem at some point. Will it be this off season? Probably more into, um, the 2024 look you've got a couple of young wide receivers there and i know there's already a little bit of talk i think it was jeremy fowler threw something out there about t higgins and uh maybe potentially looking to trade him before having uh to give him uh, a, a a big deal uh they obviously have what uh, uh safety over there as well too uh that they're going to have to uh, determine what they're going to do with uh as well as, as maybe a potential long long-term deal with him. So uh, you pay, you pay the quarterback the, that, that big money. It, it does make a challenge to kind of work around, but you know, as, as long as you're careful with the guaranteed money and, and bad quote unquote, bad contracts out there, you know, restructures are, are, are always an option there. So I, it will present challenges to them. I don't have a, a, a uh, hyper-focused, look at it right now, but other than to say uh, a lot of eyes will be on what they do with Joe Burrow and that contract this off season. Sure. That's the first thing, the first priority, and they're going to get that done. I'm sure for a, you know, record amount of money or pretty darn close to it. We're not in the, the salary cap does not exist. It's a myth camp. We think that's total crap, but we know that you can massage this cap so much. It's so malleable and flexible that if you want to make something happen, you basically can make something happen. So we'll see how Mike Brown treats it. Not the most uh, spendy owner in the NFL, although I think, you know, he's going to open up the pocketbook for Joe Burrow. Um, so we'll see. But if they want to, I'm sure their approach is though, we want to keep this group together. It's a really mm-hmm. strong group, and we're right on the Super Bowl's door, played in the Super Bowl last year, and got to the AFC title game this year. We don't want to start losing pieces, and so that's going to be a pretty big incentive to try to pay these guys and be as creative as possible to restructure and, and free up cap space, and the cap just overall is going up, which is going to help them as well. So we'll see, but I imagine if they want to keep those guys, they can find a way to, to do it all. Uh, let's see a couple of nice emails here from George Vukovic and Brandon about the cap book idea. They would, they would buy uh, three yes. of those books. Yes. Uh, I'm telling you, Dave. <laughs> maybe later down the road. I ain't got time to do it right now. When, when Kevin Colbert writes his book, you write your book. Uh, I'm not going uh, he, he, if uh, I'd be in trouble if he turned around and wrote one next summer, then, uh, <laughs> I, I, gonna... uh, I will file it in things to think about, uh, okay. category there. One other one here, uh, before we close out. Derek Demi writes in, Dave and Alex, what one aspect of the Steelers team moving forward are you most excited about? He says, for me, I'm really looking forward to see what kind of roster Andy Weidel can put together. Uh, I'm going to let Alex expand on that here in a minute, uh, that that statement. Uh, the Eagles have one of the best rosters in the NFL. Here's to hoping he can bring the same thing to Pittsburgh. Thanks, as always, fellas. Looking forward to your offseason coverage and following following whatever blues clues we can, man, I, I am so hyped up. I went and looked at the uh, Steelers staff page once again, at the <laughs> photos of the scouts trying to sharpen my mind up so I could beat Alex to the punch on, uh, uh, there won't be many of them, but I will, I will beat Alex on, on finding a couple of these guys at some of these pro days here. So I am looking forward to really to, to the blues clues because of, uh, uh, obviously Colbert and I mean, not Colbert, uh, Omar Khan, which by the way, 
happy birthday yesterday to Omar Khan. I know you listened to, to uh, uh, the the uh, the terrible podcast. So yesterday was Omar Khan's birthday. Um, but yeah, I, I look forward to that process of the uh, offseason here. Address his comment, Alex. Uh, looking forward to see what kind of roster Andy Weidel can put together. Yeah, I mean, I- I'm excited to see what it looks like, too, what differences in, in philosophy and approach Pittsburgh might make. I don't think there's going to be anything dramatic, but maybe little things over time add up. Now, obviously, Weidel is not in sole control of this roster, and you have Mike Tomlin, so I'm sure his voice and sphere of influence has probably grown even more so as Kevin Colbert exits. Um, I guess Colbert, by the way, is like working in a liaison position with the Steelers. It's kind of like a alumni type thing. So there's still a, a tie to the organization, but not in a, in a roster building sense. And then you have Omar Khan and, and Art Rooney. So it's not as if Weidel himself is going to be solely building this roster together. But, you know, we'll see what changes and tweaks might occur there. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about just the youth for this team and watching young guys like Kenny Pickett and George Pickens and Jalen Ward and even some bit older guys like Dan Moore to see how those guys grow and progress and just the youth on this offense, the growing pains they went through last year, and hopefully they'll reap the rewards of those those pains and struggles and, and be better for it as they kind of enter uh, their second and third year. So that's a really exciting part of this offense being intact and a lot of young guys growing and getting better. Yeah, and I, 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 w- I would you know echo everything that you just said there. Uh, you know, just excited to see what if this it's more of an inquisitive of, of how much, you know, what's the next step that this offense can make in Kenny Pickett's second season, uh, keeping all those pe- most of those pieces together on offense and seeing if indeed they can uh, take that next step and, and start scoring uh, more points. Uh, can they start creating more explosive plays? Uh, I, I just said that I, I, I'm really excited about the offseason here. I love the, I, I love the offseason process. Uh, top to bottom, free agency, the cap, uh, the blues clues, the pro days, the combine coming up here pretty soon. We just wrapped up the uh, the Shrine and Senior Bowl. That really helps me kind of catch up or make up some ground. I'm, I never get caught up to where I want to be in this uh, uh, pre-job process. But, uh, I mean, it's just – and and this these things that I'm kind of excited about are really kind of things that I'm excited about off, all uh, every offseason, I think. Yeah, it's not much different. Um, the offseason is always fun to see how this roster changes and what additions occur and what subtractions occur. But uh, it's certainly going to be a different feel just in that first, you know, offseason without having to worry about the quarterback position and and, and just see, you know, where you're at exiting the offseason. All right. Uh, I think that's got all the uh, pertinent kind of questions there. Obviously running a little bit long. We had an hour's, a little over an hour's worth with, with our Shrine Bowl attendees. And once again, we, uh, we, we, we thank you them for coming on. It won't be the last time you hear from, from some, or if not all of them uh, throughout the pre-draft process, we'll try to have you know a couple more of these uh, people on throughout, throughout this process and possibly all four that you heard from uh, today. We'll try to have Owen Straley on maybe next week. And as Alex uh, said, uh, we have the Senior Bowl uh, roundtable coming up on the Friday episode of the Terrible Podcast. So, Alex, anything to add before we get out of here? Uh, You're joining Aaron Rodgers on that four-day darkness retreat. That's where you're going next week, I think, right? No, 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 uh, no, 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 uh, no, no darkness (laughs) tour tour for me. I I have enough problems staying out, out of my own head every day. 
that was a thing you did in your 20s though i feel like there were some darkness yes. retreats back in your, in your <laughs> earlier days there were dark days and darkness retreats uh right. for, for for sure uh, um, all right uh with that uh you can follow me on the twitter machine at steeders depot Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. Hope you're following all of our contributors as well, too. I'll try to put their Twitter feeds uh, in the post that wraps up this podcast. Uh, you can uh, email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, go to SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button up right navigational bar. Also, if you like an ad free version of the site, go to SteedersDepot.com. Hit the ad free button button up right navigational bar uh as well and follow the directions that way so uh in the meantime until friday as always thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with dave and alex 